The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello again, and a welcome to another edition of the TOSD Toddcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network, found online at belmontmedia.org slash podcasts, and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can listen to the Toddcast at your convenience by downloading the free SoundCloud app available on both iTunes and Google Play stores. I'm Todd Bloniars from the award-winning Time Out for Sports Talk TV show available on BMC channels 28 and 29, and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. Org. Well, as I continue my uh, talent search for guests on these podcasts, I've uh, found someone who falls into the cross-section of a former work associate at my, my current day job and someone who now works in sports media, actually has for quite some time. His name is Matt Geek, and he is a sports producer at uh, Boston's WBZ TV4, a te- television station that just this year is celebrating its 70th anniversary on the airwaves. So uh, first of all, uh, Matt, I want to uh, welcome you uh, to the TOST Toddcast and uh, also uh, ask the, uh, the question, or at least uh, maybe you can let our listeners know how long you've uh, been now working at Channel 4 and what you, uh, you do over there. Well, Todd, first of all, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's going to be great to chat sports with you again after such a long layoff, uh, after I left Watertown Savings. Uh, so well, I've been at we're BZ. not supposed to mention the day job here. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've been at BZ Pretty much since uh, 2005, I was actually there as an intern in 2003, uh, and then right out of college, they hired me as a nighttime freelance sports producer. So that was in 2005. Uh, I officially started there the day the Red Sox lost to the White Sox in the playoffs. Um, so I did TV for about five years, and I've done the web. I've done sports producing on the web, just writing and producing content since 2011. So. It would be easy for quite some time, much longer than I ever thought it would be. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's been a great ride. I love the people there. It's a wonderful station. And uh, it doesn't hurt to work for CBS. So. No, no, it, it certainly doesn't. Uh, yeah, you've had a chance to work for uh, one of the, uh, the top sports departments in uh, Boston uh, and, and a lot of stability there, too. I mean, Steve Burden's been the sports director now for, uh, for quite some time. And uh, Dan Roach has been there a while. Levin Reed, uh, who was brought in for a lot of the uh, Patriots coverage. Uh, yeah, all those guys have been there. I think, I think they all predated you uh, working there. Am I right? They did, yes. Uh, Levin was at Fox 25 when I first started, uh, so I, I did get to work with Bob LaBelle for a couple of years uh, before he he was no longer with the station and Burton took over, but I've worked with Steve pretty much since day one. Uh, he was doing weekends when I started, so he and I, uh, we've been together for quite some time. And then, of course, Rochi took over for weekends, and those Saturday nights with Rochi's, uh, those are some of the more memorable Saturday evenings of my life, which probably speaks volumes to my social life, but you know what? I wouldn't dream, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, those guys, though, are, are true pros all the way. And, of course, like you mentioned, uh, you know, their Patriots coverage. Uh, I know that Channel 4 has owned the rights to, well, obviously they broadcast a lot of the games, but not all of them, but they do have the exclusive mm-hmm. rights to all the, uh, the kind of the pre and post, uh, the fifth quarter, which they've turned into their own uh, kind of program uh, with all the post-game pressers and, and whatnot. 
Oh, yeah, many a night spent cutting highlights for fifth quarter. Um, haven't done that in a while, but those were some fun nights. Some you, actual fun nights, too. But. You know, I was going to ask you, Matt, have you ever, uh, well, you were doing a lot of highlight cutting. Did you ever get a chance to, like, go out on the field, whether it was to, you know, to get uh, some video or some sound or anything for a, for a sportscast? Or? Uh, a lot of the times I got to go out the field in my first few years was mostly just to carry a printer around for Lobel and Burton. Uh, but you know what, I, I'm not going to complain about spending a lot of afternoons at Fenway Park or down at Gillette um, or even up top at the Garden the night floor. Um, and then I did get to travel with my new position. Actually, the first year that I was doing sports on the web was the year the Patriots played the Giants in Indianapolis. So I got to go out to Indianapolis. And uh, based on the results of the game, I haven't been allowed to go to a Super Bowl since, but I'm okay with that. Uh, are they Are they holding you personally responsible for that loss, Matt? I think so. I believe so. But <laughs> I, I have my own thoughts on that game, but I don't want to get into that. That's it's too, it's too it hurts. It hurts too much. No, I don't even want to ask them what the current what you thought of the current Super Bowl loss or the most recent one. Uh, but just uh, also so our listeners know, where can we find your your work? What's the uh, the what's Channel 4's website? Uh, it is cbsbostonsports.com or just cbsboston.com. I of course write for the sports section, um, and then I'm on Twitter at Matt Deegan. I don't really tweet too much. Usually obscure television and movie references that tie into sports and the occasional gif here and there. Uh, but mostly just wisecracker comments. Well, if, if you don't tweet very much based on what I saw of your Twitter feed, then I don't tweet at all because uh, really it's just to promote shows. And then sometimes if I'm watching a game and I just happen to pull up my Twitter feed while I'm watching, I'll, I'll see what's out there and I, I may uh, post a few things uh, uh, with a game, but most of mine, of course, are retweets, and I, I try to stay away from some of the obscure references like you like you are doing. But uh, yeah, a lot of that, and a lot of love for Jalen Brown too. There's there's a lot of that on Twitter. So yes, okay, well, hey, that's all right. I like Jalen Brown a lot too. Let me ask this then. Uh, so with maybe. Yeah, you didn't maybe go on the field as much, but you know, I guess the other thing I'm I'm not thinking of here is with the uh, ever popular sports final show. A lot of times the guests come to the studio. So uh, has there been any uh, who's who's been your most your favorite uh, sports guests or that you were most excited about uh, getting to meet uh, sports celebrity or whatnot? Uh, that was always Cedric Maxwell, one of the most entertaining men on the planet. Uh, you could talk to Max about just about anything, and he'd have you rolling on the floor. Uh, that is a man with many thoughts. Not all of them make sense, but they are very fun to listen to. Uh, so anytime he was in to talk Celtics, you knew it was going to be good. And uh, when I first when I first started, the Celtics obviously weren't that good, but he and I had a few chats about Gerald Green and Ryan Bills here and there. And that 2000, the summer of 07 happened, and things got a lot more fun after that. So he uh, he's a man with some good stories, that's for sure. Oh, I'm, I'm with you on Max, uh, because many a time he's entertained me on uh, some of the radio broadcasts. I have to admit, I listened to some games featuring some really bad Celtics teams, and I think the only reason I was even listening was just to hear what, what in, insanely uh, colorful thoughts might come out of Max's mouth. He is one of a kind, that's for sure. Yep, uh, yeah, from quack quack to the sandwiches and the pop pop popcorn popper. I mean, there this is all like, you know, it, it's all like Max vocabulary now that's stuck in our heads. Just got to make sure he's got a napkin, that's for sure. Yeah, right, exactly, right. I still, you know, I, I'm thinking now that you got me thinking about this, the 08 finals when he caught the ball, you know, the ball, the ball landed in his, uh, in his lap practically. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just... Andre on a wonderful end-of-game call, has a huge poem ready to go, and then Max, I got the ball. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, as someone... One of my favorite who... moments, to be honest with you, that playoff run, a playoff run that had several amazing moments. 
you know, I, I've been cut off having done play-by-play -play at times. I've been cut off by some uh, uh, some color analysts. Unfortunately, not quite as memorable as uh, Cedric Maxwell. And in fact, in his case, I wouldn't have minded him cutting me off if I was about to, to go into a, a spiel. But uh, yeah, I, I've actually been cut off by some folks who who were not as entertaining in the uh, in the process. Uh, certainly not to the degree that uh, Cornbread. Yeah. Uh, was but I'm sure Grandy's used to it by now too. So yeah, I would think so. Yeah, boy, they've been working together almost 20 years now. It's incredible. I I find them to be one of the more uh, underrated yet solid uh, broadcast duos. And of course, we've been spoiled around here over the years between radio and television with with all of the major sports teams, uh, all the uh, you know the great voices uh, we've uh, heard or seen and and or both uh, for sure. Um, but so we're recording this uh, Toddcast here on August 1st. It's the uh, day after the uh, Major League uh, trade deadline. So I kind of thought we'd start by talking about uh, uh, the one team of, of the major teams that's playing right now. I mean, with apologies to the New England Revolution, I know they're playing too. But uh, of the big four, let's, let's say that. Uh, so we start with the Red Sox. And obviously it's, uh, you know, you could look at this as glass half full and glass half empty. Uh, you know, if I listen to too much of sports radio, I'm afraid uh, it's probably going to be glass half empty, and perhaps that's rubbing off on me. I look at the standings. Obviously, the Red Sox have, are playing close to 700 baseball here, Matt. Uh, 75 wins the most in baseball, and they, they currently have a five-and-a-half game lead over the Yankees, who lost earlier today, uh, as they will, uh, the two teams, of course, will be getting ready for their four-game showdown at Fenway Park later this week. And uh, despite that, uh, yesterday might go down as a... Uh, you know, if the season is to suddenly turn on these Red Sox, yesterday might be the day where it kind of started because, uh, you know, the biggest news of the day, uh, hearing the news about Chris Sale going on the uh, disabled list with the uh, uh, shoulder inflammation, then in, during the game itself, with the, which the Red Sox lost, uh, Xander Bogarts got hit on the wrist, and, you know, last time we know that happened, uh, his uh, productivity uh, took a dramatic drop. And then, uh, well, and also not to mention the Red Sox did not address uh, picking up another bullpen arm at the trade deadline. So uh, how about your general thoughts, uh, Matt, of the team to this point in the season? And then uh, kind of tying that into uh, were you happy with the moves the Sox did make during the trade deadline? And did you wish they had picked up someone for the bullpen? All right, well, I'll start with the Red Sox in general just because I, I must say uh, my interest in baseball has actually waned over the years. Uh, but then heading into this year, I mean, there's no reason not to watch this team. They're a fun team to watch. They absolutely crush the baseball. Wookie Betts and J.D. Martinez, that's must-see TV whenever they're at bat. Um, so I, I have very few complaints with the actual team on the field currently. Um, that being said, yesterday was absolutely a disappointment with the fact that Dave Dabrowski did not pick up a bullpen arm. Uh, it seems like every year these teams that have World Series aspirations go out and bolster their bullpen at the deadline, or at least ahead of the deadline, so they're not paying such a premium on relievers, and Dabrowski just didn't do that, and uh, if there's one thing that you could say over his lengthy career in baseball, it's that it's usually his bullpens that have done his teams in, and yes, the team is, well, it's, they're, you know, they have that five-and-a-half game lead over the Yankees, they are the best team in baseball record-wise, but there's that there's that feeling in the back of your mind that their bullpen just is not good enough to get it done in October. Um, obviously, Craig, Craig Kimbrell is one of the best relievers in the game. He is absolute fireballer. Really no concerns about him. However, you maybe come October asking him to get upwards of six outs. And we've seen he's usually not as great when you ask him to get those extra outs. Um, so I really thought Dombrowski would have... It, it was a no-brainer to go out and get 
a reliable bullpen arm, a guy who can either set up or close at times to end the regular season so you can give Kimbrell a little bit of a blow. And they did nothing to really help that. Uh, I know that Barnes is setting up now, and he's done fairly well in the role, but this is Matt Barnes we're talking about. He, I don't know if I trust him in the eighth inning of an ALCS game at, say, New York or in Houston to make a pitch that's going to get a guy out when you absolutely need it out. Um, I really would have loved it for them to go out and get a guy who has either closing experience or experience as a setup man, as Dabrowski did the previous two years when he got Addison Reed and then, to a lesser extent, Brad Ziegler a couple years before that. Uh, I know Addison Reed did absolutely nothing in the playoffs last year, but I think a lot of that had to do with both the situation and also the manager that was in charge at the time, who seemed to always bungle his bullpens. Um, so I think this year it was it was imperative for them to go out and get a bullpen arm, and they didn't do that. It seems like Dabrowski's relying on the guys that he has, and he's hoping that Tyler Thornburg, who has barely pitched for the Red Sox, he's a, you know maybe he can fill in that role as a setup man. I know he did it in Milwaukee. Uh, but that's a big maybe, especially with a guy coming off of missing a year and a half with a shoulder injury. Uh, so it's just it's a huge gamble by Dombrowski. And uh, it's disappointing that he didn't add up. It, if it wasn't a setup man, at least a lefty to throw in the pen. And I know people will say that Drew Pomerantz is likely heading to the bullpen. But as good as his year was last year as a starter, I have very little faith that Drew Pomerantz can get a big out in the playoffs or even in just big situations throughout the rest of the season. So... I think it's a little bit. I do like the three moves that he made prior to the deadline. They definitely addressed areas that the club could use a little bit of improvement in. But the biggest area of need, the biggest the area that was most glaring, it seems like it was ignored or he just let it go by the wayside. So that's that is a bit disappointing. Still think they're going to be in the mix in the end. Uh, I I can't see them not making the ALCS. I know the playoffs, their path to the World Series might shake out to be a little bit difficult, having to face both the Yankees and the Astros. Like. Astros or the Indians, but uh, I still think they're they're definitely going to be they'll be in the ALCS. I would hope, unless something terrible happens, like Chris Sale ten day stay on the DL ends up being a two month stay on the DL. But we'll we'll hopefully not have to deal with that. Yeah, well, I, I hope not. Uh, certainly, uh, with regards to uh, Dombrowski, like you know, I'm I'm totally with you, Matt. I, I was surprised that. Uh, the Red Sox uh, didn't make uh, you know make those moves at the deadline. I guess to try to counter some of your your arguments to kind of make this uh, you know a, a, you know a, a complete dialogue here. Uh, I guess I would say that you know you could look back at some of the relievers that Zabrowski has picked up in recent years, and of course you brought up uh, Addison Reed who didn't do anything for them in the playoffs. So I think you know, and even as Zabrowski said himself, he's kind of looking at the guys that are in the pen, and certainly they all have some potential when you know they've all kind of shown some little flashes of greatness. Tyler Thornburg has pitched better of late, and overall, uh, you know, even in like uh, eight and two-thirds innings on the season, he's averaging uh, over uh, a strikeout an inning. So, I mean, again, this is, uh, you know, encouraging, uh, you know, encouraging signs. And then Joe Kelly, who I know has not pitched well lately, but pitched really well at the beginning of the year. And maybe they're hoping he gets some of that back. Uh, you know, so, it, it, you know, and even Matt Barnes, yes, he has no experience in, in the playoffs, but, uh, 
you know, you could make the argument that really anyone the Red Sox have in their bullpen doesn't have a whole lot of uh, playoff experience, if any. So I, I think there's definitely some question marks there. Yes, I would have liked to have seen them pick up another arm, especially when you look at all the guys who did get dealt a lot of closers and setup men. Uh, as you had said, uh, you know, we had uh, Zach Britton, Joaquin Soria, uh, Keona Keela, Roberto Asuna, who I know has his own off, uh, off-field baggage, uh, uh, Ziegler, uh, who was here, you know, who Dombrowski brought in one year, Brandon Kinsler, Jake Diekman, uh, O'Day, Brock, uh, you know, a lot of guys, uh, oh, Juris, uh, Juris Familia going to Oakland. So, yeah, I mean, one of those guys uh, would have looked good. I'm just guessing that I think whenever Dombrowski might have called any of those teams, those teams probably looked at, you know, you know, the Red Sox farm system as far as what kind of prospects they were going to get back, probably asked for the very best guys on what's now a short list of primo prospects in the Red Sox farm system. And, you know, Dombrowski, I don't know if it's to his credit or his detriment at this point that he doesn't want to totally empty out the farm system because he's kind of almost done that already, but he's trying to hang on, I guess, to uh, uh, some of the few uh, decent prospects he has left. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, It's just, it's unfortunate because it seems like if there's one team that you should definitely you should go all in on, it's this team. Uh, their window is, I don't want to say it's closing. They probably they still have you know two years with this core until Chris Sale hits the open market to really win a World Series. And it it just seems like they're right there. And if it ends up being a bullpen piece that they is the missing piece to them winning a World Series, it'll be a massive disappointment. And then the rumors that he was talking to Washington about Herrera, and they just didn't want to deal him. So they were. It makes it a little more frustrating because he was definitely looking at a reliever and then, for whatever reason, just abandoned it when that one reliever wasn't available. Um, hopefully, like you said, I know you mentioned Joe Kelly. I have absolutely no faith in Joe Kelly. I haven't since they picked him up from St. Louis for John Lackey way back when, which is a little harsh because he has had some quality innings for the Sox. But uh, it seems like his it's his arm that I'm, I'm not worried about his arm. It's in between his ears that scares me most about Joe Kelly. Um, he's one of those guys where I just I don't trust him to make a good pitch to get a much-needed out in a key situation. Um, so, yeah, it's hopefully it doesn't come back to bite him. And if it, you know, if they go in and win it all, uh, Dombrowski looks like a genius. I'll take it all back. Uh, his restraint, like you said, not wanting to completely deplete the minor league system just for a rental arm out of the bullpen. He'll look smart enough for not doing it. Um, however, if it does come back to bite them and they come up just short of making it to the World Series or just short in the World Series because they can't hold on to a lead in the seventh or eighth inning, uh, he's you can hear it, that's for sure. But then again, it's Boston, so he hears it for every little move he makes. So I guess there's really no difference there. Yeah. I mean, in the weeks leading up to the trade deadline, I had heard some talk that Dombrowski was perhaps not only trying to pick up bullpen help, but was also looking at someone uh, who was cost-controlled, who had multiple years left on his deal, and someone who could potentially replace Craig Kimbrell, who's due to be a free agent at the end of the season. And and you had brought up there, Matt, uh, the fact that the window right now for the Red Sox is really small, and it's a little surprising Dabrowski didn't want to go for it this year, especially in light of, you know, uh, Kimbrell's impending free agency. 
because they lose him. And boy, I mean, that's that's the one sure thing or pretty sure thing they have in that bullpen. And you know he's going to command some big dollars on the free agent market. And I, I, will, I could debate all night probably what a good closer or even an elite closer should get paid. But, uh, you know, certainly I, I kind of doubt the Red Sox would probably want to invest that kind of money in a closer. So my, my feeling here is Dombrowski probably went out there and was trying to pick up some of those, uh, you know, maybe those guys who had the multiple years left on the deal, maybe some class control, younger potential closers, guys who throw hard. And I, I think those teams came back and probably asked for those very top prospects and uh, or maybe they it could have been those teams might have looked and said you know you frankly we don't you don't have anything on our on your roster that or your organization that we would want or we think this guy is worth and they you know they ultimately went and got better prospects from other teams right yeah much like I mean the Indians got Brad Hand by dealing off I, I believe their the catcher they sent is their top prospect um, so they got Hand and uh, the other reliever whose name is escaping me uh, Adam moment. Adam Simber oh, yeah. I, actually, I wrote all these I mean I actually uh, printed them out for our. Uh, our uh, podcast tonight, but uh, yeah, actually, I forgot. I left Hand's name out. He was the first one that uh, was picked up uh, back uh, a couple of weeks ago. And you're, yeah, I mean, the Indians gave up uh, Francisco Mejia, who uh, I don't know if you're still a fan. Of, well, it sounds like you're you're interested in baseballs. Waning. I'm still a bit of a fantasy baseball geek, and we do American League only. I know Mejia was considered a uh, highly sought after prospect even uh, before the season, uh, even in fantasy circles. So, uh, yeah, it, it did feel like uh, you know the the Padres were, were holding out for a lot there uh, to get hands. So, yeah, some of the asking price in some of these guys, I mean, the Red Sox don't have a Francisco Mejia anywhere in their system, N- not even so much in, a, like, a really good catching prospect, but, like, even that level of a prospect at any position. No, not really. I mean, really one of their only trade chips is Blake Swinehart, and unfortunately he wasn't hitting all that well until recently. So I don't know how enamored teams were with him. Uh, so, yeah, they weren't dealing from a position of strength, hoping that they could cast off their prospects and get something much needed for the playoffs. Uh, so at, on that front, I mean, you could see how Dombrowski just didn't want to empty everything he has in the minors for a rental. Uh, but again, it's I'll just be disappointed that they didn't go all in for this team, because this team, like I said, they have a really good shot this year. They, if that just goes by the wayside, they're not going to be happy. Well, if all the rumors are true that they've uh, officially gone over the $237 million uh, luxury tax threshold and uh, thus will have their draft position dropped uh, starting next year, if they've done that, even if by a little bit, it feels like they should go all in. And so maybe in August, they might be able to make some kind of waiver deal for a real, a really high-priced reliever or a reliever who has a big contract and maybe just hasn't really performed up to par. I mean, that might be the kind of guy that they're looking to uh, to, to bring in. One of the things, you know, with the sale injury uh, that makes me think here is that you know, the Red Sox, even with the addition of Nathan Avaldi, who might be a pretty good pickup, and yeah, he may eventually go to the uh, bullpen come the postseason— you, you, you feel like one more injury to this Red Sox pitching staff, especially to the starting rotation, and Dabrowski's going to have to hit the market and try to find somebody. Yeah, I mean, Doug Fister's still out there, so he can always come back. Oh, um, or any other player that's ever played for Dave Dombrowski, he'll, uh, he'll give them a paycheck. I, I believe Fister is still on the Rangers' disabled list, and I don't even oh, know. Oh, all right, well. 
There you go. Yeah, and I don't even, unless they've released them outright, I, I have no idea. But uh, last time I checked, I think. Uh, uh, Joel Zumaya still pitching. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, I know. You really do feel like they're going to have to go all looking for somebody off the scrap heap. But, uh, you know, and this sale injury is a concern. If uh, Because the other thing was that the Red Sox, you know, cut back on his innings leading into the All-Star break compared to the first half last season. Then he got kind of a, a real extended break right around the All-Star break, uh, really having only pitched once in about 11 days, then comes back, pitches really well, looks sharp, and then all of a sudden, you know, right when you have your biggest series of the season coming up, um, you know, he's not there. I mean, I guess there's some speculation that uh, the Red Sox are trying to hold him out now to give him rest so he will pitch better in August and September, which is not typically uh, uh, those have been strong months for sale. And I don't know, are the Red Sox almost fearful that if they start him this week against the Yankees and... I mean, I guess the question here is if you don't believe the legitimacy of his shoulder really bothering him, maybe, you know, I wonder if Red Sox management's looking and going, oh, my God, you know, Sale's going to go all out against the Yankees because that's the kind of competitive guy he is, which is what we love about him. And then maybe he's going to try to throw 100 miles an hour, and that's going to really mess him up and, and set him back a few starts and then wear him out. I mean, what are your what's your thinking? Do you think he's legitimately hurt here and that uh, he will, you know, and obviously the Red Sox are just maybe trying to use this to schedule some rest for him? Yeah, I'm, I I question the legitimate if it's a legitimate injury. I I don't doubt that he's sore because, like you said, he goes out and hits a hundred on the gun a handful of times a night, and he's. I feel like they've done pretty much everything right with Dale in their efforts to curtail his workload this season. Uh, so hopefully, in the next what is it eight days since it was retroactive to the twenty eighth, he's right back out there again making a start, and this is just kind of an added week's break for him in hopes of really conserving him for those important starts. Well, I don't know if there'll be important starts at the end of September, but definitely at the beginning of October. Uh, I, I don't think it's a terrible idea to give him a little blow right now. Like you said, he had that short amount of time of rest during the All-Star break since he did go out and throw what was it, a dozen pitches during the All-Star game. Uh, more of a side day for him, actually, more than a start. But I... I'm not too, too concerned just yet. If we reach that end of the 10-day DL stint and they're like, all right, he's going to miss another start now, then I'd be absolutely 100% concerned. At the moment, I'm going to hold back and not worry because I I have enough worries in life. I don't want to throw Chris Sale on that pile just yet. Um, so I'm going, to, I'm going to remain confident that he's going to make his next start uh, whenever it may be next Thursday or whenever it falls in line. Uh if he doesn't, then I think it's time to hit the panic button, barring a phrase from my former colleague there, DJ. Uh, yes, and uh, four-time uh, guest on Time Out for Sports Talk, Bob Lobel. Yes, uh, of ah, course. Yes. No problem bringing up his name here on uh, on the Toddcast. Uh, so you earlier brought up uh, Joe Kelly, and you talked about how his biggest problem might be between his ears, and you can certainly say that about several Red Sox players on this team. We could probably do a whole 10, 15-minute segment on David Price. Let's go past that, talk about something uh, a little more of uh, current and uh, as far as uh, concerns, perhaps, and uh, that would be Xander Bogart, so who's a player I've always liked, and I, uh, you know, he's probably one of the few binkies I have on this team, and I, I want to see him. I mean, I think there's so much upside and potential with him, and you know, he's certainly having a, a great, you know, I shouldn't say great, he's having a really good first half. Uh, but you know, last night he gets hit on the wrist, kind of looked like almost in a similar place to where Aaron Judge got hit. And Judge is, is scheduled to miss at least uh, three or four weeks 
while not getting surgery, and the, uh, the x-rays on Bogarts thankfully came up negative uh, that they took uh, after the game. So that's good news, but the, uh, the downside uh, is that, uh, you know, if you go back in history, the last time uh, Bogarts experienced uh, getting hit like this, his production fell way off. So I guess my question to you, Matt, is would you be concerned here going forward that, you know, because uh, I guess, you know, Bogart said his wrist was really bothering him or it's still pretty sore. Um, what do you think? I mean, is he, you think he's going to be ready to jump right back in uh, tomorrow night uh, when the Sox and Yankees start their four-game series? And, you know, what do you think this uh, means for Bogarts uh, the rest of the season? I would hope that he's not in the lineup for his sake tomorrow night. I, I would hope that they give him a few days off because it looked almost identical to what happened last year when he got punked on, I believe it was July 2nd against the Rays. Um, and after that, like you said, his production just it shot way down. Uh, he hit 232 after he got plunked to the right hand last year, and just looked—he didn't look the same at the plate. Um, and like you said, he was off—he was hitting the ball very well this year. Uh, it's not so much average-wise, but he was—he was making good contact. He was—you just hope that this—this this is something that you know, give it a few days rest. If he needs more rest, throw him on the DL. Give him the time he needs to heal because he's important in that lineup. As much as Mookie Betts and JD Martinez and Ben Attendee are carrying the offense. Bogart's there in the five hole. I mean, he is, he's very important. He's giving protection, protection to those guys in the middle. You can't have him go down for an extended time. You, you definitely don't want to see, I, I mean, I guess Brock Holt would be their everyday shortstop now that they have, uh, my goodness, I almost said Brian Roberts at second base, but that's clearly not it. Ian Kinsler, yes. Base. <laughs> uh, you, definitely, you really hope that this is something that Worst-case scenario, he needs a week off to really let the swelling go down, just keep icing it. And even if he's not, even if his average does dip a little bit, he's hitting, what, 275 now. If he maybe hits around 250 the rest of the time, still making good contact. He's still hitting for a little bit of power, hitting doubles off the wall and everything, and it doesn't affect him too much in that department because they, he's as good as their lineup is. He's a major part of it. He's a major part of their production, and they, they really can't afford to lose him at this moment. You know, Matt Geegan... I am, well, I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish up. But, what? But, I'll, yeah, I'll just close on I am very concerned about it because the way he made it sound after last night, it was deja vu all over again from last year. And, he, I mean, he sounded borderline dejected after yeah. the game despite the fact that the x-rays came back negative. They were hopeful that it wouldn't be anything long-term. Yeah, no, I mean that you're right, right, exactly. That's that has me uh, concerned too. And this is I was talking about the between the ears. Some there are times with Bogarts that it does feel like, and sometimes you can kind of understand it, but there's other times you think he's just a little too much in his head, and that's uh, that's uh, maybe not a good thing. Especially if you're fluent in eight languages, so you probably have a lot of conflicting voices in a bunch of yeah, different yeah, languages. Yeah, a lot of talking so. going on in there. Yeah, for sure. No, one of the things I was about to say is, uh, you know, Matt Egan is very good at his job because he knew Xander Bogarts average right off the top of his head, at least I think, unless he's cheating like I am and has notes here. But I actually had to go to my stats and, and look it up because when you said he's hitting 275 and lo and behold, on the stat sheet that is exactly what he's hitting. So, did you know that off the top well, I, of your head, Matt, or are you going to... Uh... I wrote the story this morning, so that is kind of cheating. But the fact that I remembered something <laughs> from 8 o'clock this morning, I, I think that's, that's pretty good. That That is true. You know, I, I'll give you credit for that. Uh, you know, with a, with a two-year-old running around the house, I mean, you know, your you know your memory from uh, eight in the morning to you know almost eight at night can uh, can change in a hurry. Yeah, my coworker and I were actually talking about Brian Roberts earlier today, wondering as we were watching the 
Orioles put a beat down on the Yankees, we were questioning who was even on the Orioles still. So Brian Roberts came up. That's <laughs> where that one kind of. Yeah, well, you know, I actually they may be playing him at second base at this point. They might have uh, dug him out of retirement. I mean, yeah, boy, the Orioles, are t- what a sad organization they've turned into. And, uh, you know, I was talking with somebody about this. Uh, and, in fact, last September I uh, did a road trip uh, down to Camden Yards. I hadn't been there in a long time, and I wanted to go back. And uh, it's a beautiful ballpark. And, uh, unfortunately, I think the events of uh, 2013 down there when they, uh, you know, had to play that game in front of no fans, they shut the, yep. the, the park down. Uh, I talked to people down there who work around the park all the time, and they told me the fans have really never come back since then because uh, I noticed how empty it was uh, when I was down there last September. And it certainly is the, and I, I know, you know, last year's team wasn't nearly as bad as this year's team. I mean, certainly you watch on TV and you can see just how empty it looks, and it's just going to, you know, the worse they get, the emptier it's going to get they're gonna you know it's gonna get to the point where they're gonna be playing in front of no fans except it's not going to be uh you know because of you know because of a, a serious reason it's gonna be because the team has just fallen on on you know really hard times yeah when the Rays are drawing a bigger crowd than you are you know you have issues yeah no that's uh that, that's exactly it. So, uh, you know, well, you know, it's also interesting as we, we were kind of we were looking ahead to this four-game series with the Sox and Yankees, and I know they're going to play six times over the final two weeks of the season, and to me, those might be the games that, that end up meaning something, but yet there's been a lot of hype coming up about this upcoming series, and now think about it. If uh, Bogarts does end up resting and maybe doesn't play much in the series, he's not going to be there. Chris Sale's not going to be there. On the Yankees' side, you have no Aaron Judge. You have no uh, Gary Sanchez, possibly uh, their new acquisition or one of their new acquisitions, J.A. Happ. I think there's, they're hopefully he's going to make his start, but he's got, he I guess, contracted foot and mouth this week and uh, yep. disease. So, I mean, there's, you know, all of a sudden, all the hype that was going into this and, you know, the, the you know, the Fox Saturday broadcast of the ESPN Sunday Nighter, you know, when these teams get together, you can pretty much lock those in if it's a weekend series, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and now... Yeah, it feels like a lot of air is being let out of the balloon here already going into this series with, with just so many of these guys out on both sides, and yet the Red Sox have an opportunity if they could, you know, somehow take three out of four, really could kind of put their, you know, put their foot down on the on the throats of the Yankees and, and try their best to make those uh, six games at the end of the season not mean a whole lot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they walk out of this series with a seven-and-a-half game lead in the division, I mean, I don't want to say the Yankees are sunk because still two months left, but, I mean, a, that is a... That's a pretty big stranglehold on the division, and you could pretty much make the Yankees start focusing on securing the wild home field and the wild card game if they take three out of four this weekend. Of course, with David Price on Sunday Night Baseball against the Yankees, that's always a tricky proposition, but we'll see. I mean, it's I still think there's quite a bit of juice to the series just because it is Red Sox and Yankees, like you said, two national TV games. Uh, but, yeah, it is disappointing. You, you I mean, I... I don't want to say I, I still despise the Yankees, just not as the vitriol isn't there like it was probably 15 years ago, obviously. Uh, but it is a major disappointment that, you know, we're not going to see Aaron Judge. I mean, that's one of the he's, – he's one of the exciting fresh faces of baseball. And, I mean, you tune in to watch Aaron Judge go, go up against the Red Sox. You want, you want to see Chris Sale against Judge three times a night, three, four times a night. And they – unfortunately, that shoulder inflammation has robbed us of that. Hit by pitch has robbed us of that. Um, so I mean, it'll still be, it'll still definitely be entertain, entertaining factors to the series. Um, the Yankees are getting a lot of credit for all these pickups that they made at the deadline. Uh, I'd like to see how they do against the Red Sox in a heated series or a 
lukewarm series as this has now become. Uh, but I, I think we could still learn a few things from the upcoming set. Um, I'd like to, I hope that the Red Sox can finally solve CC Sabathia, who I believe is going tomorrow night. Yes. Um, yeah. If they can't solve him, then that's that would be a disappointment. That would, I mean, he's he's pitched well, I think, but it's it's just a, it's it's puzzling that the Red Sox can't seem to figure him out in these later these twilight years of his career. Um, so we'll we'll see we'll see. There's definitely still a lot to to watch for in this set. Um, I think we'll be treated to probably mostly entertaining baseball, and then if a game gets out of hand and we're already in the bullpens in the fourth inning, we're in for a nice little you know four and a half to five and a half hour baseball game, which which I don't think a lot of people enjoy too much anymore. So we'll see. We'll definitely see. But I think it's still a very important series for the Red Sox and even more so for the Yankees. I think it's much more important for the Yankees to at least try and split, or obviously they'd love to take three or four sweep, but if they if they can't at least split without seeing Chris Sale in this series, then I think it's a big hit to the psyche of the Yankees, and they, they'll have to start really thinking in the back of their minds, all right, we're probably going to be hosting a wild card game come October. Yeah, and uh, if David Price can't uh, find a way to beat a Yankee lineup that doesn't have Judge, doesn't have Gary Sanchez, two guys who who hit pretty well off Price uh, historically, uh, then there's uh, you know there's there's some real problems uh, with Price too. We talk about what Dombrowski did not do at the trade deadline, but he also did some things. He made some pickups uh, over the last uh, few weeks, going all the way back to the Steer, Steve Pierce acquisition, which made Hanley Ramirez expendable. And then uh, you know you look at the the recent pickups here. Uh, you know, getting Evaldi, who in his uh, red Sox debut on Sunday against Minnesota looked just excellent. I don't know if he can top that, but and then you've got the Ian Kinsler pickup, which I'll tell you was not on my radar at all. Although thinking about it more and more, this might be a really prudent pickup by Dombrowski. He didn't have to give up a lot to get him. I'm amazed that the cost wasn't a little higher. I know Kinsler's 35. I know his his stats for the whole season haven't been great, but he's been certainly hitting better the last few weeks. And if he can kind of get hot here for a couple of months. I mean, you know, he's he's a veteran guy. His defense is certainly better than what they've had between Holt and Nunez. I mean, this could really be a big pickup. And, of course, obviously the bigger picture here is that Dustin Pedroia, in all likelihood, not coming back this year. Sadly, I've been thinking that way for quite some time now, and I even wonder right. whether Pedroia's coming back at all, period. I, I think we may have seen, yeah. we may very well have seen the last of Pedroia as an everyday player, which is sad uh, to say. But so, I mean, what have you thought about some of uh, these pickups by Dombrowski? They're role players, but they are filling some key roles on this team. Yeah, absolutely. If, if he, he definitely deserves credit for filling some needs and not really giving up much of anything. Uh, Steve Pierce is a nice, he's a nice little player. I mean, they needed a right-handed bat off the bench, but in the outfield and occasionally on the infield, as we saw last week. Um, and he's done just that. I mean, he's a good clubhouse guy from everything I've heard. Um, and from an old personal standpoint, I've managed to just spell Pierce, P-I-E-R-C-E, once in a lit post. So uh, that hasn't been a major struggle as I thought it would be. Um, I do like the Evaldi pickup. I mean, like you said, they needed someone in that rotation, especially they picked him up shortly after Edward or Rodriguez went down. And unfortunately, I, I guess the news on Rodriguez was positive the other day, but He's the kind of guy I just you can't rely on him to come back from an injury and be lights out or even an above average starter right away. I know he's pitching well for the most part throughout the season. He had 11 wins, but 
he's not he's not the guy that bounces back right away from injuries. So they definitely needed someone to come in and make some starts, especially when I mean Pomerantz was on the shelf at that point too. And I don't think Pomerantz is going to be in the rotation much longer. He's kind of in there by default with both with Stephen Wright also hurt. Um, so it seems like they probably rely on Brian Johnson the rest of the way. But Evaldi gives them options. I mean, they can move certain guys to the pen. Like you said earlier, they could even move Evaldi to the pen. It's something he's open to. Uh, so I really like those two pickups. And Kindler was just, I mean, that was just kind of a bonus. Uh, what I like most about him is defensively he gives you stability at second base. Uh, Nunez, I like him. He's a solid little player. He's got a nice little bat. But defensively, he can really he can hurt you. He's not very rangy. Uh, Kinsler, yes, he's 35. I'm 35, I believe. Yes. Yep. Um, I don't want to say too much about 35-year-olds being out of shoes. It's not athletic. <laughs> i close to the age myself. Mm. Uh, but he's definitely a shell of his former self. He's not being Kinsler that was going 30 for 30. But if he can give you some defensive stability at that position, a very important position with ground ball pitchers that they have, uh, I think he can be a very unsung pickup that they really didn't have to give up too much of anything for. Um, so if there's anything Dombrowski does deserve credit for ahead of the deadline, it's picking up three fairly important depth pieces and really not giving up much of anything for. I would have liked him to then take that not giving up much of anything for them and turn that into actually getting something that they needed. But you know what? We've already talked about that long enough. So we'll move on. I will give Dombrowski credit for those three guys, though. Uh, they are... They could play very important roles come the postseason. And maybe even as early as tomorrow night for guys like, say, Pierce and Kinsler, a couple of good right-handed hitters uh, when, you know, especially if Kinsler can keep uh, hitting as he had been prior to, uh, to the Red Sox picking him up. Uh, those two guys against Sabathia, maybe that helps the Red Sox break through against CC. And as for Evaldi, I have a feeling, I think at least through the regular season, just based on uh, I don't know what they're going to get out of Pomeranz the rest of the year. Uh, we don't know when Erod's coming back. We don't know when Wright's coming back or if those guys are going to come, like what they're going to look like. I think Evaldi's going to have to be a mainstay in that rotation through the regular season. Once the playoffs start and you can shrink the rotation down, then I think Evaldi could uh, potentially become a valuable piece out of that pen. Maybe that's where they find their eighth inning guy. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, if, say, uh, Thornburg doesn't stick or, or Kelly or Barnes or these other people. Yeah, I think uh, the best part about Evaldi is he gives you that luxury where if you know Chris Sale needs to needs to skip a turn in the rotation come early or mid September, hopefully it's not because he's still on the DL. Uh, you can you have Evaldi now. You have the luxury that you can say, all right, you know what? Yes, you will skip a you will skip a turn, and then rosters obviously increase come September, so they can call up whatever they have left in the minors for a spot start. I mean, if they let Jalen Beeks make a start earlier this year, they can let someone down in the minors make a start. So. Uh, I think I agree with you. I think he will be in the rotation for the most part of the rest regular season, and then come the playoffs, they can really afford to shuffle around things and possibly move him to the pen. So we'll see. He he definitely he gives them a little bit more wiggle room in the it, with that pitching staff. Um, so I, I like him. He was a good pickup. I mean, he's you know he's not going to win a Cy Young anytime soon. He's not going to blow opponents away. But he pitched very well his first time out against the Twins, the team that he got shelled against his previous time against them. So uh, he could definitely become a major player come the end of the year. We are talking uh, here on the Toddcast with Matt Geegan, a uh, sports producer at uh, WBZ Channel 4 uh, and also writer uh, uh, supplying uh, the content on the uh, the website. That's CBS Boston Sports. 
Com. Uh, Matt, we'll switch gears here now and uh, switch, I know, to a subject you probably want to talk about a little bit more. And, and I'm sure everyone does at this point, uh, because if the calendar is struck August, it means uh, the NFL season, uh, meaningful games are not too far away. And uh, although I'm not necessarily, this time of year, I'm always reticent to want to jump it right into football. But if they're, if the Patriots are playing games on the field, that means we're not going to be talking or hopefully there'll be a little less talk about all the soap opera angles uh, with the, this team right now. So uh, I guess I just want to get at this point, Matt, your opening thoughts on the first week of training camp. I guess we got some late news today. Uh, that uh, Jordan Matthews, who was looked at as perhaps a key, especially in the first four games of the season, uh, to be a, a Tom Brady target. It looks like, I guess there's been some conflicting reports. I don't know if you you have access. Uh, I don't have access to the social media stuff right now. Uh, but uh, supposedly Matthews was released. Then there was another story he was going to go on injured reserve. Uh, have you seen anything to, to confirm one way or the other? I mean, I guess we know he's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a funny little situation because uh, this morning at first broke, I believe it was Albert Breer said it was a significant, no, sorry, it was Ian Rappaport said it was a significant hamstring injury, and then 90 minutes later, the report was from Jim McBride of the Boston Globe, he had been, he was being released. Uh, then, of course, I get home to hear that the Patriots had actually placed him on the IR, uh, so I logged on to Twitter pretty quickly, and it seems like there's still conflicting reports, at least uh, just before I called in, I had seen the the NFL transaction wire had him landing on the IR, and the Patriots had announced that he had been released. Uh, either way, he will not be catching passes from Tom Brady, it appears, and that is disappointing because he was actually one of the more exciting, well, one of the only signings they made at the wide receiver position this offseason rather than letting guys walk away. Uh, there was some hope that he could fill the someone avoid left by the Cooks and Amendola departure, most notably the Amendola department but he will obviously not be feeling that now. Uh, so the focus, it's disappointing. The focus now turns, I guess, to uh, Philip Dorsett, who so far during camp, a lot of people are talking very highly of him. Um, I was actually at the practice Monday for the season ticket holders and Foxborough residents inside Gillette Stadium, and it was pretty clear that Brady, he, he has some trust with, with uh, Dorsett now. He went to him a handful of times in the two-minute drill, which is when I thought was the most notable takeaway of that. He also surprisingly went to Tollister, uh, the tight end. Um, so I thought that was interesting. But Dorsett is definitely, he's looked good during training camp, and a lot of people are pretty high on him actually having a role in the office this season after not doing much last year. Um, he was in a pretty awkward spot last year coming over, I think it was four days before the season. And as we know, the Patriots offense is not a very easy one to just jump right into. I mean, even some all-time veterans have come in and not been able to pick up on that offense given a full training camp. So I feel like asking a young player to come in and pick it up right off, right from the get-go was, was not an easy position for Dorsett to come into. Uh, to his credit, he studied the playbook all of last season despite not playing. He studied hard all of the offseason, and it seems like it's paying off dividends now. Um, I mean, you take it with a grain of salt given that they've practiced in pads only three or four times so far. They haven't had opposing defenses on the field, but the fact that he, Tom Brady is actually going to them in these practices, I think, it, it just speaks to the he's worlds ahead of where he was last year, which is, well, he wasn't even here last year at this time, uh, but it's just he's, he's in the offense now, and it seems like he's here to stay. So if they can get something out of Dorsett, especially the first four games when they don't have Julian Edelman, I mean, that's 
wide receiver to me is the biggest question mark on the Patriots heading into the season. It's a giant area of concern. Granted, uh, they it's not a death blow to them because they have the greatest tight end to ever play the game, and then they also have pretty steady stable of running backs. So I think for those first four weeks without Edelman, you could see some very unique formations. I mean, Josh McDaniels is still the offensive coordinator, so you'll probably always see some unique things out of the offense. But especially those that first month of the season without Edelman, you're going to see some two-back sets, some two tight end sets, two, two running back, two tight end sets. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully with Philip Dorsett and Chris Hogan, you can get what you need out of the wide receivers until Edelman can come back. Just to confirm, Matt, you said you were at the uh, season ticket holders' practice the other night. Were, was that for yeah. work, or are you a season ticket holder, too? So I uh, I married into a absolutely wonderful family. Uh. They've had season tickets since I met my wife back in my college days. Uh, so we trying to get, we're trying to get my young son out to a sporting event now, and we figured, you know what, let's take him to a practice at first. It's only giving him a couple of hours. We'll see if he sits tight, and let's enjoys himself. Uh, so we were there as spectators. I did try to take a few notes, which was which proved to be somewhat difficult with a two-year-old next to me climbing up and down the seats. Uh, but my father did take him for a walk around the stadium. So I did get to focus a chunk on the two-minute drill and everything. So uh, that was mostly as a spectator, partially as a journalist or so-called journalist, as I like to call myself occasionally. Uh, so I did get to take a few takeaways from there, and then I did get to enjoy it as a father, bringing his young son to a vet. Well, that's great. I think what they call that when you marry into a family that has season tickets, I think that's called the best of both worlds. I think that's what they, you can file it under that. Uh, let me ask this about your son, Aiden. Uh, does he already have a Patriots jersey? And uh, if so, what number uh, or what player does oh, he yeah. have? So he's had uh, two Tom Brady jerseys throughout his life. Uh, one of our, our good friends got him a Brady jersey shortly after he was born. And then he has since acquired a larger Tom Brady jersey since he likes to grow out of clothes after wearing them just once or twice. Sure. Uh, so he has two Brady jerseys. Uh, my sister got him a Gordon Hayward jersey last for his two, his second birthday. Um, I requested a Jason Tatum jersey just because Jason Tatum was actually playing basketball at the time. But, you know, I'm not going to complain about a Gordon Hayward jersey. I think he's going to be off the Celtics this year. Uh, but, yeah, sticking to the Patriots, he... Only has a Tom Brady jersey, and he actually has more Patriots jerseys than I do at the moment because the only one I still have left is my Rodney Harrison, which I will never get rid of. I'll forever own that jersey until I frame it and throw it somewhere. Um, I don't wear it too much because I don't wear jerseys anymore. I have a strict rule where I don't wear the jersey of a player who's younger than me. So right now, <laughs> Rodney Harrison and Tom Brady are pretty much my only option. Yeah. <laughs> all four of the major sports. So I'm, I'll just leave it at that. Well, I have a Rodney Harrison jersey too. Not not a gate, not an authentic game jersey, but a jersey nonetheless, which I still uh, I, I really haven't been wearing my uh, jerseys much in in recent years either. Uh, the the couple that I I do have, you know, the fun idea you could do with your son is as he turns each birthday, if they have you know if that number exists, you could get the number. Uh, so I mean, wouldn't number three be Gostowski coming up when he hits his third birthday? I don't know if they yeah make that Gostowski would Gostowski shirts I, that small. I was hoping that someone would get him a Dennis Johnson when he turned. Three, but uh, yeah, that would be I don't think that'll happen. I don't think they make you throwback jerseys. 
show. <laughs> no, probably, probably not. But uh, well, that's okay. You should, maybe you should stick to current players. You know, maybe when you know you can you can save the the throwbacks for uh, I don't know when he when he turns thirty three, you can get him a Larry Bird jersey or something. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but. Uh, Oh well, yeah. No, what was I gonna say? Well, so we were talking about uh, yeah the practice. Actually, uh, I'll try to circle back. We were talking about wide receivers. Uh, there was reports, I guess, that uh, on Monday Eric Decker had uh, come into Patriot camp and uh, tried out for the team. Uh, what uh, what do you think might come of that? I mean, I guess Decker has publicly said he'd like to play for the Patriots. I guess. Do you think he has anything left? To me, if he if he has something left, I think he might be a really good fit, and I could see him and Brady maybe be kind of, you know, not taking quite as long to maybe get that chemistry going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he would, uh, I, it would definitely be worth it. I mean, they've taken chances on lesser receivers in the past. Uh, Eric Decker's a good little player. Uh, he was injured two years ago, but he had a pretty deep, he had an okay season for the Titans last year. Uh, the big thing with him is, I mean, he knows Josh McDaniels from the fact that Josh McDaniels drafted him when they were in Denver. Um, so it's not like he'd be jumping just right into a complete unknown on Obviously, the Patriot system is much different than whatever Josh, whatever crazy system Josh ran in Denver that got him run out of town. But there's definitely a familiarity factor there. Uh, it, I don't think it would hurt if they brought him in. Worst case scenario, if he doesn't latch on, if he's a you know, if he comes in and is just completely lost, like a Chad Ochocinco or a Tory Holt. I mean, you just you cut him. I mean, it's at this moment they need some bodies there. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world to bring in a veteran like Decker. Um, it's. I would rather have him try to go out and catch passes than a guy like Riley McCarron or even Braxton Berrios, who both of them I saw them make some pretty bad drops on Monday. Uh, granted, one practice does not dictate how a player will do, but Berrios looked to struggle to hold on to the football on a couple different occasions. So, for a rookie receiver, I think the Patriots coming in and making an instant impact on the Patriots is a tough proposition. I I, I would love to see Decker in here, especially given the Jordan Matthews news. Uh, like I said, it can't hurt. I mean, if Chris Hogan goes down in the first few weeks, they're in, they're in some major trouble at the position. Uh, you'd probably end up seeing Matthew Slater take some turn at wide receiver and that. And I love Matthew Slater as a special teams guy. You, do not, you don't want to see him going out trying to catch passes. Could see James White maybe taking some turns at wide receiver if it gets that yeah. desperate, too. And you know what? I think, that's, I think you're going to see that anyways. Because like I said, I think you're going to have some two receiver sets. Two running back sets where either James White or even Rex Burkhead or even Sony Michelle, who I know he left practice earlier today, uh, I think you can see some of them lining up as a wide receiver at points. Um, White has done it in the past. Brady trusts him. He's, he's got some pretty good hands, so I think you could definitely see some running backs line up as wide receivers in the early part of the season. Yeah, you know, Matt, I, I did want to ask you about the defense, but I guess before I do, I just kind of looked at the time. Are you? I know we kind of were up. You were up against the time constraint here, so I don't want to keep you if you uh, have some daddy duties you need to address right now. Or can we uh, talk briefly about the defense or what you your observations oh, were? You know what? I have a good view of our bathroom window, which means tub time is the light is still on, so tub time is still going on. I don't have to leave yet. Okay. <laughs> Glad to hear it. For the 500th time this month. So, yeah, we got – I. Okay, so, well, yeah, what are your thoughts from uh, what you saw uh, the other night uh, about the defense? I, you know, obviously there's got to be some concerns because the last time we saw the defense in a meaningful game, they were getting uh, shredded for some yards, and, of course, we don't even need to get yeah. into uh, the certain cornerback who did not play. 
so I'm actually fairly excited for the defense. Um, I didn't get to have it. I didn't get a great look at them on Monday night. We were on the other side of the field, so we saw mostly offensive drills. Um, I think the defensive line this year they have they could be one of they could be a very good defensive line. I really like the Danny Shelton pickup. He he was a great he was great at clogging the run in Cleveland, and he even got after the quarterback a little bit. Uh, so I think having just a giant human being in the middle to clog the line. Uh, is going to definitely help. He can open up some lanes for their linebackers to get after the quarterback. And obviously the biggest reason that I think the defense will be much better than the last time we saw them is the fact that Dante Hightower will hopefully be back out there with them. I say hopefully because Hightower always comes with that asterisk that he could go down at any given moment, which is too bad because Hightower is a game changer on defense. So you hope he can stay healthy. Excuse me. Uh, he is the biggest factor with the defense this year. If he can stay healthy, if if they have to give him a few games off here and there throughout the regular season, as long as he's there in the end, the defense should be fine. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, he looked very good on Monday. He's looked great throughout camp so far from everything that I've heard. Uh, Dan Roach, who I talk to about camp pretty much every day, he cannot say enough about how good Gilmore has been. And uh, it. He's really turned it around since I know he had some early struggles last season to start last season, but he, I mean, he was one of their best defensive players to close out the year. He made that incredible play to save the AFC Championship game against the Jaguars, which I was at, thankfully, for those wonderful in-laws of mine. <laughs> so I think he's got it locked down at that number, number one corner position. Number two corner appears to be up in the air now because we haven't seen too much of Jason Cordy. Uh, which is interesting, uh, leads you to believe that he could actually even be one of those surprising cuts from cut-down time. But it's a long camp. They haven't played against teams yet, so I think we should hold, <clears throat> excuse me, reserve judgment on that just yet. Ultimately, it'll likely be Jason McCourty who winds up at number two, but you could possibly see Eric Rose step into that position or even one of the undrafted guys. I, I know J.C. Jackson is one of the big talkers down at camp this year, the rookie out of Maryland. Um, and you just, I mean, you never know with cornerbacks. The Patriots play, uh, they like cornerbacks to tackle. So whoever can tackle a guy is going to be in there. Unfortunately, they didn't feel that way last Super Bowl for whatever reason, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, because <laughs> I was going to say that if the, there was one strong point of Malcolm Butler's game was certainly his ability to make tackles. Yes, and I think they will miss that uh, to an extent. Hopefully... They have these other guys that they have. Hopefully Jason McCourty can, you know, mimic what Devin McCourty has done at safety and carry that over to the cornerback position. He was kind of lost in Cleveland for all those years, and Tennessee and in Cleveland, those, some abysmal teams. So you hope that now that he's kind of with a winning organization, a team with some coherence on the defensive end, his game can go to another level. We'll see. I mean, he's he is 30 years old, so... We'll see how that works out. But, I mean, they, they did trade for him. you got to think Belichick thinks highly of him since he absolutely loves Devin and loves Rutgers guys. He fits both of those. So you would hope yeah. that he can have some sort of impact. Uh, if not, we'll see. Uh, I am I am confident that the defense will play much, much better. Uh, Trey Flowers, to me, and my coworker Michael Hurley, reminds me of this every single day. He's one of the more underrated defensive players in the NFL. So I feel like their big strong point is going to be the defensive line this year. Um, like I said, with Shelton anchoring, uh, they have 
Trey Flowers on one end, and then you hope to get something out of Derek Rivers and Dietrich Wise. Um, Rivers, it's, it's, it's tough to place too much expectations on him, given the fact that he missed his entire rookie year. But much like Dorsett last year, not really playing much, but he was around the team, studying the playbook, learning the defense. Uh, and Bill Belichick was very complimentary of both Rivers and Wise on multiple occasions over the last few years. Uh, so you hope that those two guys, even as, uh, quote, a rookie and a second-year guy, can take, they can do something in the pass rush. And then I've been high on, I've, I've liked Kyle Van Hoy ever since they stole him from Detroit, essentially. Uh, I think he's a very good player, whether he lines up on the end or the linebacker. He, very underrated on that defensive side of the football. I mean, he did as much as he could without Hightower last year. Uh, so we'll see. I have I have high hopes for the defense this year. I'm hoping that they have a much better showing than what we saw the last time they took the field. And I think given who they have back healthy for now, they will be a much better unit than they were that final game last season. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to the health, I, I cannot agree with you more when it comes to Hightower. And, you know, even though they're going to be playing predominantly that same 5-2-4 style of defense. I mean, you only got the two linebackers in there most of the time, but if they're going to be Hightower and Van Noy a large percentage of the time, I would feel pretty confident. And I'm also kind of, with regards to Van Noy, I think Van Noy's fine as long as Hightower is in there all the time. I think if you're expecting Van Noy to be the guy because Hightower's injured again, like you said, it got that got exposed in Super Bowl 52 uh, along with uh, the rest of the defense. I'll be curious to see whether it is going to be uh, Devin's uh, twin brother or, uh, you know, uh, whether Eric Rowe can find finally kind of grow into that position. I know certainly Belichick thought enough of him in Super Bowl 52 to give him the the start in that, even though it did not end up uh, going well for him. So let's get to some of the, I, I guess we'll wrap up by kind of talking about, we haven't really talked about the quarterback yet, Tom Brady. And I know right now most of that talk really has less to do with what we're going to see on the field because I think we're expecting to see more of the same, maybe not MVP level for a 40-year-old, but now as, he, as he's about to turn 41 this week. Uh, you know, so yeah, not that same level, but I think uh, the biggest concern might really be right now is, and I'll ask you this, Matt, do you think there is a, a rift and uh, what level it's at between Brady and Belichick and how are they going to be able to coexist? And is Josh McDaniels uh, just there to play the role of the buffer as opposed to the, uh, the guy calling the plays on offense? Yeah, uh, there's definitely something there. I mean, they've been together for 20 years. There's going to be disagreements, and little disagreements can balloon into a major disagreement. However, those two, they're fairly professional. I know Bill can be extremely grumpy and a terrible sore loser, but I feel like the fact that they realized that they were right there, Brady did everything he could to win that Super Bowl last year. I don't think there's going to be much of a... There'll be a slight drop-off, I'm sure, because of his wide receiving core and the fact that, I mean, he's going to be 41. I don't know if... Have people been mentioning the fact that he's going to be 41 too much? I feel like that's kind of fine. Blown under the radar. Well, I think his his birthday's this week, so I think that's probably why the talk is heating up about it. But no, it, it's Friday, and yeah, we, we get daily reminders that Brady's a four-year-old. That was maybe and <laughs> horribly sarcastic. Yeah. Much like everyone reminded the world that Jason Tatum was only 19 for much of the last season. It seems like the age is one of people's favorite things to talk about in sports. Well, only if you're really, really young or really, really old. I think if you're in the middle, nobody seems to care much. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> not very worried about Brady. Uh, he'll make it work with the receivers that he has. And once he gets his 
you know, security blanket back in week five, it'll be it, the offense will probably move without much issue. Uh, I am a little concerned about his offensive line to an extent, just because there's no clear-cut left tackle at the moment. I know people are making a big deal out of uh, Trent Brown being a massive human being, and he certainly is a massive human being because he stood out quite a bit on Monday night, um, standing next to other giant human beings that take a take up space alongside him on the offensive line. Um, my big question with him is he's massive. There's no doubt that he can protect a quarterback, but can he do it in a up-tempo offense, much like the Patriots? Um, I feel like there was a reason the 49ers were moving on from him after just four years. Um, granted, they did draft a left tackle in the first round, the kid out of Notre Dame. Uh, so I think that made it a little bit easier for them to move on. Um, I'm okay with the fact that they let Nate Solder go get a giant paycheck in New York because I, I, I don't think he was he's worth that giant paycheck. And the fact that the Patriots didn't give it to him, I, I think that's okay. That's that's not how they operate. Um, but I think there are some big question marks at left tackle. I know Isaiah Wynn could maybe fill in as a rookie at times. And with Dante Scarnecchio leading the crew, you usually don't have to worry too much about the offensive line figuring it out. It may take some time, but usually by midseason, that is a cohesive unit. They're all moving in the same direction. Uh, but I think early on, especially without Edelman, it's going to be important for Brady to be able to get the ball out quickly. And if he doesn't have the time to do that, or if his receivers don't have time, if they're not getting open quickly, it it's going to show over that first month. And that's really the biggest issue. That's really the biggest concern with Brady. Does he, do we see more of Tom yelling on the sideline? Do we see more of Tom chewing out some guys or that horrible body language that he occasionally shows? Uh, other than that, I think after 16 regular season games, Tom Brady's still going to have MVP-like numbers. I think there'll be other players in the league who obviously eclipse his numbers just based on, I don't know, the past friend. I mean, Jared Goff is going to put up ridiculous numbers out in L.A. with that offense. So he probably won't win another MVP this year, but I, I don't have much concern at all for Tom Brady. A luxury that we've had for the last two decades. So yeah, quite a luxury uh, indeed. Uh, yeah, when, when it comes to Trent Brown, I mean, there's probably you know the one thing you'd have to say from the 49ers' perspective and willing to let him go is that you know they you know you're, he's big and everything, but the big question is can he block like the speed rushers? We all know how the defensive line game is changing, and you know pe- you know these edge rushers on the outside they're fast, they're quick, they have moves. And even though Trent Brown might be a big body, the question is, you know, once you push him, you know, you kind of get around him. I mean, is he going to be able to, you know, be quick enough to be able to to get back and kind of, you know, hold off that edge blocker uh, on Brady's right. blind side? Yeah, I mean, Vaughn Miller has been very complimentary of Trent Brown, but I really I don't know how much she's actually seen him in in game. I know they worked out in the offseason uh, together, and if you're going to have someone sing your praises. I mean, Vaughn Miller's the guy to do it as an offensive lineman. Still, there have been offensive linemen who have come in and just, they've been turnstiles. So you worry about that. But they, they seem to have a nice amount of depth that's along the offensive line and moving parts of the offensive line. You'd hate to see Marcus Cannon have to move over from left tackle because, or move over to left tackle because he's become such an important and great piece over on the right side. So you don't want to see too much movement on that set, in that sense. Um, but, you know, in Dante, we trust. If anyone can figure out an offensive line, it's him. He's done it for years. And Tom Brady has uh, stayed, uh, you know what, I don't even want to say it, but he's always on the field. Let's put it that way. 
Right, and did you know he's turning 41 this week? <laughs> I, had, I had heard rumors. I thought he was actually 31 for a while, but I guess that was off my decade. So. I figure that's a good point to uh, to close out our uh, conversation here, especially since I've kept you a little bit over time from your uh, from uh, some of your daddy duties. So I wanna I wanna take this point. What? All right, I am I am disappointed we don't get to talk about the uh, Big Three tournament coming to Boston on Friday, but you know what? That's all right. We can save that for another day. Are you going to the Big Three tournament? Uh, being the I, big hoop no, head you are. I was I, w- I was intrigued to go as a spectator. I was actually going to go with my coworker. We looked into tickets. Uh, they were extremely affordable tickets, and I've actually I watched it on TV a couple weeks ago during one of the Red Sox rainouts, and it was very odd to see Ricky Davis go against the likes of Glenn Davis. Marcus Banks, and I mean, Gal's part of it. Um, however, we got to the point of purchasing tickets. We were going to get $15 tickets, and after fees, the total cost per ticket ballooned up to $37. So we decided not to give Ice Cube our money at that point. Uh, so no, I will not be going on Friday. Not to mention the fact that my one of my favorite Celtics of all time, Ryan Gomes, is not playing in it anymore. So I really didn't see a need to go anymore. Um, maybe I'll catch the highlights on FS1 or whatever it's on, but chances are I'll probably be watching Red Sox changing on Friday night. Okay, well, you know, and, and truth be told, Matt, the real reason I, I decided we weren't going to talk any Celtics is it, it was a, an excuse for you to have to come back on another show. Maybe we can actually get you in the TV studio sometime, too. You get to meet my co-host in the process. You know what? I would be, I would be, I would absolutely love to come and take three and a half hours of your time talking about Celtics basketball, so anytime. <laughs> Our show is only 60 minutes, and it is live. And, yes, uh, the TV show will be coming back in uh, August. So uh, you want to, I guess, perfect segue. You want to follow us on social media so you know when that's going to be because uh, we haven't announced an official date yet for the return from our uh, summer hiatus on the TV side. Uh, you can follow us on social media by searching Time Out for Sports Talk on Facebook and on Twitter. Our handle is at TOSTBMC. Uh, where you can also get the links to the latest TOST podcasts as soon as they are available, including this one that we are wrapping up right here. Uh, don't forget, you can also check out our previous television shows on demand at belmontmedia.org. And as I said, we'll be returning in August. Follow us on social media. You'll know exactly when that is. Uh, Matt Geegan, you can follow him on Twitter at Matt Geegan. That's G-E-A-G-A-N, uh, sports producer and uh, writer of web content uh, for the uh, CBSBostonSports.com website. And uh, also uh, working uh, for WBZ Channel 4. Uh, Matt, thank you very much. Uh, This was a very successful debut for you on the Toddcast, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking more with you in the future. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry I got a bolt early, but we got to talk to you to read. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to joining again and uh, just chatting sports. All right. Well, that sounds good. Once again, a big thanks to Matt Geegan. Uh, WBZ, a sports producer and a web writer. Until next time, this is Todd Bloniars. Thank you for checking out the TOST Toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network.